You are listening to your home for Michigan Athletics. 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Locate us on the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there. And rebound comes you are to Hunwick. To Six and remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm not Ben Webster, but I'm Dick Whaley. Nope, not Ben Webster here either, but Jim Dwyer. Anyway, uh, a long, <laughs> uh, long involved week for both Jim and I with the Ann Arbor Film Festival. And to top it off for, for, for my great experience of the week, I had to show up for jury duty today at 8.15 in the morning. Oh, lovely. Yikes. I survived. Well, were you placed? I was uh, removed by peremptory challenge at a certain oh. point. Well, there you go. I think it might have been the fact that I do radio on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Because <laughs> <laughs> the prosecuting attorney got me off the uh, off the jury. So it was uh, like listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. It's, it was a learning experience, Danny. There you go. Even LSD. That's right. <laughs> well, probably just a, a quick uh, couple of comments on a wrap for the, the film festival. Uh, indeed, a lot of... I think I actually lost a little bit of weight this last week. Cause, yeah. uh, it's hard to get a meal in uh, with so much great programming all afternoon and evening. My eating schedule was pretty much uh, one meal a day uh, throughout the festival. So uh, I saw quite a bit of it. And uh, although there are some of the old timers out there who like to naysay some of the uh, uh, career perspectives on uh, and retrospectives on experimental films from decades past, I think those are some of the highlights of, you know, in addition to a lot of strong new work, um, the uh, Faraki Yeah, the Faraki movies were outstanding. Were particularly uh, strong, and the title of the one is very difficult to remember, Images of the World and the Inscription of War. I tried to describe this to uh, someone asked me when I got home, hey, what was uh, 
Mars was asking, uh, gee, what was that film about? And it was almost impossible to succinctly say. Uh, there are about 27 focuses of that film. Yeah. But essentially, it's uh, about the uh, analysis of aerial photography. But it gives you a history of uh, every aspect of that. Yeah, it was it was interesting how it used uh, some some old illustrations from Albert Durer and Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, it was about the Enlightenment, about perspective optics. and optics, and how German uh, photographic engineers, so to speak, uh, who were actually looking at architecture, uh, they were measuring cathedrals more or less, were able to uh, use uh, the distance of a of a photograph to analyze uh, width and length and depth, so to speak. Of architectural features. Of architectural features and how that then played a role in military intelligence, military reconnaissance, aerial photography, which, of course, uh, World War II uh, was the first war where cameras were... uh, Routinely employed. Routinely employed by both the American military and the German military... Uh, to take aerial photographs of uh, basically bombing uh, targets. Um, And um, my only objection, by the way, to that movie was that it then went into the um, aerial uh, photographs that were taken of Auschwitz that were analyzed by the CIA in the late 70s. Right. And then there's this new kind of weird counterfactual debate going on in uh, his history circles. In fact, there was a book that came out just last year entitled uh, FDR and the Jews, which was basically a analysis of uh, uh, the American response to the Holocaust. What did they know? When did they know it? Right. Why wasn't Auschwitz bombed? Why weren't the rail lines bombed? And I think it's important to realize that our uh, capability with Air Force uh, bombing back in the World War II was not precise. Uh, no, they would just, here's the drop bombing. spot, and it was carpet bombing. Yeah, they just... Uh... And, of course, incendiary bombs were used extensively in 1945, in particular, to force um, Japan to surrender. Uh, if you saw the outstanding Errol Morris documentary called The Fog of War... Mm. Robert McNamara worked as a aerial photographer, reconnaissance yep. specialist, and intelligence uh, chief officer for, ironically, Curtis LeMay. So he looked at uh, bombing targets in Japan. He was responsible for uh, selecting targets. And, of course, the incendiary bombs in Japan were used uh, to literally wipe out cities because uh, of the earthquake tendencies of the Japanese um, buildings, much of old Japan was built in wood. Yep. And the incendiary bombs would create fire fires that would... Fire storms, actually. Fire storms, yeah. yeah. And, of course, this is also really captured in a profound way by Kurt Vonnegut uh, in... Mm-hmm. Uh, His account of the Dresden bombing. Yes, in Slaughterhouse-Five. Five. Uh, Dresden was deliberately firebombed by the Allies... Uh, Churchill gave the orders on this, uh, apparently. Uh, it was a relatively pristine city. And one of the interesting things about why Hiroshima and Nagasaki were picked as targets uh, for the atomic bombs that America dropped at the end of World War II in 1945 were that they were pristine mm-hmm. cities. 
So military uh, intelligence wanted to analyze the effect of what's this atomic bomb going to actually do. Right. So there's this Not an unmarred post target. and pre-targeting reconnaissance that's right. involved in military intelligence. So that's what was uh, really fascinating about this movie. Yeah, and you know where are you going to get a chance to see these films uh, if it isn't for these. Uh, Retrospectives at the Ann Arbor Film Festival. Two films, I think, that were overlooked by the judges. Uh, Don Hertzfeld's World of Tomorrow. Oh, that was great. That was fabulous. That really, I think, should have been the best animation uh, prize. Uh, the the one that piece that won with the the British guys painted on the yeah, wall, which was, was good. Was a good story and very Solid. well told and a, and a cool technique and so forth. But I, I think the Don Hertzfeld uh, was a better. Uh, presentation and I don't know if you saw that film uh, by a woman uh, named Basma Al Sharif called O Persecuted. No, uh, this apparently is uh, one of the one? first films to be funded by the Palestinian Film Foundation. Mm -hmm. Very strong piece of work. Uh, it's available to look at a glimpse of it online. I think there's about a three minute. Uh, excerpt from it and uh, you can you know seek it out uh for yourself i think apparently there's somehow uh that the full film is available on demand if you access it i haven't had time to do that yet but uh, i've already seen it uh that was uh i don't want to ruin anything by giving away the ending of that but uh a very good film and iron ministry i thought was a very strong documentary i didn't see the one that won so i don't know how they compare head to head but uh, I, I Iron saw Ministry the one that was won. the Chinese uh, yeah. railroad story, and it was. I did uh, see the one that won. That was uh, about the speculation uh, nation. Speculation nat nation, which was essentially about the f banking, financial, housing slash crisis in Spain. Uh, this, of course, is part of the legendary new vocabulary that developed post uh, two thousand and eight from the financial crisis. This is uh, this is a concept called contagion. Mm. where uh, banks, um, particularly in Portugal, Spain, Greece, mm. and Ireland, those four countries in particular, um, owned a lot of the junk bonds that the American banks produced. So one of the great... Uh, th this movie The weaker of the European economies sort of became dumping grounds. The for... weaker of the, of the European economies and also economies that that rode the speculation boom in the early mm -hmm. part of the uh, 21st century, uh, where you had this, I think, the, 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 you know, at the end of the day, the fundamental reason for some of these problems uh, that occurred globally were that housing prices and real estate speculation was going up while incomes were flat. Right. And uh, Spain's economic problems go beyond the uh, housing uh, situation. It's really more massive unemployment there. They have unemployment rates that rival America's uh, Great Depression rates, 25%. So you really cannot have, and this is what is called a bubble. And of course, if you study the history of capitalism, bubbles come and they go, and they come back. And as John Kenneth Galbraith famously said, uh, in America, we have a banking crisis every 20 years. The problem is nobody can remember the last one. Mm. But it's often the same fundamental problem. There is an asset balloon, bubble, 
with a lot of speculation where people are trying to get rich and trying to make quick money when it really shouldn't be happening. And it's, it's the deficiency of market economics, fundamentally, that causes these booms right. and busts. Yeah. So the situation in Spain uh, post-2008 uh, uh, was very different uh, in terms of the approach that the American government used versus the Spanish government. Uh, the American government passed a stimulus package and a thing called TARP, you know, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, that essentially bailed out the financial system. Uh, if you've been following the news lately, there's been a lot of stuff about AIG in the news. Uh, AIG was given a bunch of money by uh, Henry Paulson, mm -hmm. the Secretary of Treasury, under George W. Bush, because of the fear that if they collapsed, then the American financial economy would collapse with it. So it was basically a temporary loan to pump capital into the system again to keep it afloat. And then, of course, the Obama administration passed a stimulus bill in addition to the TARP. TARP was actually passed uh, while George Bush was president. Uh, but anyway, this real estate speculation and bubble that, of course, in the United States occurred primarily in uh, Nevada, Arizona, and Florida, uh, was the same sort of situation where assets uh, were overinflated by market conditions. Many people bought houses they couldn't afford. They didn't understand what an, an arm was, an adjustable rate mortgage. And when the rates went up, and they didn't understand that they were going to be paying much more in interest rates, they uh, got into trouble, uh, individuals. Uh -huh. But the contagion and the overpricing of the housing market here in the United States is directly linked to the fundamental problem of uh, income inequality and income stagnation. Ah, so anyway, the movie was outstanding, I thought, from the housing perspective. Was basically about uh, assets that were built, houses that were vacant, that were had been taken over by uh, unemployed people, squatting, <laughs> squatting yeah. basically. And you know it's interesting because here in uh, Southeast Michigan, there's a big uh, deadline tomorrow uh, in That's Detroit. That's correct. Yes, on a lot of houses that yeah. are quote potentially up for auction if people can't come up with, with their uh, uh, taxes solutions by, yeah. or pay the back taxes it's basically a back back taxes problem here in michigan but in in detroit but uh, uh these things uh you know are are what's what's great about these kinds of documentaries is you get to see how similar some of the problems are around the world as the, as they relate to the american situation and what's going on in our country so it was an outstanding uh documentary in many regards and of course bill brown uh who did it was one of the filmmakers i forget the uh, young lady's name who co uh, is basically his partner in film filmmaking um he's done some very good stuff in the past he had a really good short about 15 years ago on ufos and he also did one on the uh, silo, the, mis uh, the missile silos in North Dakota. Oh, right. Yeah, that one I remember. I don't even know if you yeah. remember the, uh, this is where the MX, uh, the, the uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles are housed. Yeah, wisely chosen by the uh, Pentagon to put them all throughout the uh, so-called breadbasket of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, this is where the fracking is going on now. Right. Uh, yes. One of the, the main areas of fracking. 
What's the, the the greater threat to national security? Our food base or Soviet invasion? Well, I worry mostly about water. Water is the thing to worry about. That's for sure. There's a. It's interesting that just this past week, speaking of of water, there was a bill passed in Ohio um, about um, manure being uh, sprayed onto frozen fields that, that created this algae bloom in Lake Erie last summer. Oh, right, yeah. That caused uh, the drinking water in Toledo to basically be uh, undrinkable for almost a week. There was so much toxicity in the... uh, in Lake Erie, and you, the New York Times had a brilliant aerial photograph of Lake Erie showing how big this area of, of uh, south, basically southwest Lake Erie that went into Michigan, up into Canada. Uh, basically, this water was undrinkable, and it was, it's caused by a numerous problems. Part of it is... Uh, uh, organophosphates that are used in agriculture, and part of it is the, the you know the absolutely insane continuing practice of of spraying chemicals on grass, right, <laughs> to uh, make your lawn brighter and greener, a little more plushy supposedly. But the fact of the matter is, those chemicals end up into the water system, right. and the the water system has to go somewhere, and this. Maumee River Shed, water river shed, that affects southeast Michigan, northeast Indiana, and northwest Ohio, dumps all of this stuff into Lake Erie. And because Lake Erie is shallow, the algae just explodes. And you can't boil the water, incidentally. This is not a uh, a uh, fecal bacteria problem. <laughs> or, you know, you sometimes see warnings here in Michigan. Um after heavy rainstorms right, with sewage systems and infrastructure. And, of course, a lot of this stuff is just simply being papered over by uh, our political system as not a problem. Money is to be made. Capitalism. We can't restrict chemical companies spraying uh, weed killers on grass. That's un-American. Green lawns are American. Well, so is poisoning the water, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And one would think after the uh, Cuyahoga River caught on fire in the late 60s for about the 10th time that created this outrage in America, created the EPA. Nixon even went that's, along. That's one of his positive accomplishments. With uh, the yeah. concept of the EPA. Earth Day came out of the Cuyahoga River fire in Cleveland. This, of course, was caused by oil. On the water right. that literally the water caught on fire. And when you th- contemplate that many of these heavy chemicals and pollutants were just being dumped. Well, be- you mentioned <laughs> the shallowness of Lake Erie uh, back in the late 60s. Uh, it it looked like sewage backup uh, with a frothy foam on the, the entire lake looked yeah. like that. Uh, the Great Lakes are a system of sort of cascading water tables that move all the way out and through. And uh, Erie is a bad place for buildups to occur. And, of course, one of the incredible ironies of all of this uh, destructive agricultural production is a lot of this is corn that's being grown. That's, you to know, feed to beef. 
it's and the ethanol subsidy, uh, right? Which is absurd. And we're going to hear a lot about the ethanol subsidy because Iowa is the first uh, is the first primary. This has already become a big debate. Uh, Scott Walker, uh, that principled man of uh, Midwestern Republicanism, fired one of his aides one day after she made a comment. Uh, not uh, approving of the uh, ethanol subsidies for the state of Iowa. So this this irony of get the government off our backs, the message that you hear is is not being practiced. So not only that, but the governors of Wisconsin and New Jersey are basing their per, their policy on the citizens of Iowa. <laughs> so. You know, go figure, voters in Jersey and Wisconsin. Uh, I'm not sure quite how that would make you feel. Though I bet Governor Christie likes his corn on the cob. <laughs> Keep him coming. He, he's he's going to eat. Where's be, the butter? He's going to be eating lots of corn in Iowa. <laughs> and probably a little crow a month or so later. And then, of course, let's give out a brain damage award to Ted Grumpy Cat Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> One day after announcing his candidacy for president at Liberty University, uh, founded by Jerry Falwell, that um, <clears throat> bastion of morality, the founder of the moral majority, tax-exempt status, <laughs> some question marks are arising about that, Ted Cruz, the very next day, he's denouncing Obamacare as his main platform. Signs up for Obamacare because <laughs> his wife took a leave of absence from Goldman Sachs. What's the connection? What's, how's this all so interesting? Because the bailout of AIG that occurred on the 16th of September 2008 was to protect the assets of Goldman Sachs, where Henry Paulson had formerly been chairman. He knew about this interlocking banking financial house of cards quite well. And to his credit, I'm not I'm not a man that, to believe that we should have allowed the system to collapse to build it anew because I don't know what the new model is going to look like. Right? <laughs> uh, banking crises were a big part, by the way, of the rise of the Nazis. That is very in Germany. True. You know, there was an Austrian banking crisis in 1931. Currency devaluation. Yeah. Yep. So this is, uh, you know, history repeating itself. One of the great things I thought this year about the uh, film festival was the, the role of history in some of the movies that I mm. saw. You know, the witchcraft movie, the Hoxton right. performance was that was a, one a, of the a highlights highlight. for me. Yeah, I would agree. Demdike Stare from Manchester, uh, great electronic score. Um, I think more silent films should be reinvented with new music. Um, well, There's the movie a lot itself of was film. just astonishing. It's a remarkable <laughs> film. Yeah, it uh, really? starts out a little slow because there's a bit of reading in it, of course, as a silent film and from Denmark at that. But uh, once the images begin to occur, it, it's really hard to believe that it was uh, made in the early 20s. Well, it was. And, of course, they, they do expose you to that whole history of how witch, witchcraft and fear of witches and the whole concept of witches dating back to ancient Persia and right. and whatnot has become a uh, has been a recurring theme throughout human history yeah. not just against witches but against anything that's different or new or unexplainable 
Yeah, yes. disagreeable. And and of course the the witches that were attacked in in this particular movie, I thought one of the great greatest lines of the movie were uh, you know, they they of course had all sorts of unscientific theories. <laughs> we'll bind this woman and throw her in the water and if she floats, right. she's a witch. And I was like, "Well, that woman has got a lot of adipose on her. She's going to float." <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the the film also shows the futility of torture as yeah. an information gathering device because under torture, people say anything. Dick Cheney to probably make it stop. had popcorn and watched this movie. <laughs> Maybe I still think that Dick Cheney should give waterboarding a try and you know honestly say uh, yeah. how effective it is. Well, and some of the uh, the real sadomasochistic. Instruments of torture were, were featured in the movie, yeah, but uh, I thought one of the great lines from the Hoxon movie <laughs> was the comment that the, the the women that were vulnerable, because it was mainly uh, an attack on women. Older women, especially. Were the, quote, old and ugly and the young and the beautiful, or I think they actually said the young and the pretty. These were the suspected witches, and of course, right. uh, witchcraft... And the fear of witchcraft, uh, you know. And even the fear of women. Let's yeah. uh, openly call out the Republican Party on that one. And, and then, you know, the connection with that and the and hysteria, mm -hmm. the hysterics, you know, the psychology of, right. of, of modern um, uh, psychoanalysis. There was a little section in, in, in the movie about that that was, of course, very prevalent in, uh, in uh, Northern Europe, Vienna. You know, these, this is where Freud and Jung and all these people, Adler and whatnot, uh, all these famous psychologists really got going. You know, and uh, America, of course, has got the famous Salem witch trials. Right. And McCarthyism, of course, one of the most brilliant uh, works of art from uh, the McCarthy uh, era is uh, Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Arthur Indeed. Miller probably... Uh, one of the most famous graduates of the University of Michigan. That's a parable about the connection between McCarthyism and yeah, it's the same witchcraft. phenomena. It's yeah. the same phenomena of sort of uh, collective guilt and uh, guilt by association and uh, secret witnesses and you name it. Secret a testimony. Lot of, uh, hysteria, fraudulent documents, and and this sort of bizarre total. Uh, tautology logic of you must confess you're not confessing you have to be a witch oh you have confessed you are a witch right there's you know there's a kind of a weirdness about it uh where the uh, hysteria will not cease no matter what happens so even when confessions are obtained under torture which uh the cia and uh, dick cheney are very familiar with uh here in uh <laughs> Our, our war on terror uh, policies, um, it's it's the same concept. It's it's just twisted uh, logic. Well, if it leads nowhere, someone's sure to follow it. But, uh, yeah, the images from that movie were just uh, mind-boggling. That, that it was made in the 1920s, that it had this... Uh, and the tinting, too, the which was commonly done uh, in the silent film era, too blue for night and red mm -hmm. for fire or intensity um, it was very effectively uh, on display as well. And of course, you know, the connection with the churches and uh, <laughs> witchcraft and the, and the, you know, the, the, the heresy and the whole 
It wasn't about the Spanish Inquisition, but it was about the the Northern European Inquisition, so right. to speak. The uh, the monks and the um, the interesting connection with the religious. Well, of course, in the Middle Ages, the Church enjoyed as much or more power as the modern concept of the nation state. Yeah, and uh, Lord Acton's uh, utterance still holds true: "Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely." Yes, indeed. But uh, a film festival, I thought, was uh, for the most part just outstanding. Once again, um, I've in recent years been particularly impressed with the the curation concept that's going on, the historical reprinting of some of these movies. Um, even the homage to uh, George. Yeah, George Montepelli, uh, founder. Founder of the film festival. at U of M. That was an outstanding program. Yeah, um, it was very good. A uh, lot of personal histories involved. Yeah. Uh, and so that was very interesting to uh, connect. I think the history stuff is invaluable. Uh, they did show, uh, what's the lengthy title on that film from uh, Manipelli? It was... Uh, I'll have to dig it up here, but it was a 45-minute film that showed that the full title was Portraits, Self-Portraits and Still Lives, 1972-73, to with special reference to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, or This Is Not Auf Wiedersehen, This Is Goodbye. 45-minute uh, film that was... Uh, Originally projected. silent. Yeah. And once again, uh, the Ann Arbor Film Festival brought in a uh, pretty well-known musician from... Hollywood that uh, did David Rosenbaum yeah, a live long music collaborator with yeah. George Menapelli in the early days and the hysterical scene in there involved a woman pleasuring herself and then oh yeah you cut away to something else and then when it cuts back to the woman pleasuring herself there was a television in place with John Ehrlichman testifying to the uh, Senate Watergate Senate committee. Watergate hearings. And uh, so it was a remarkable conjuncture of images. Well, they should have had Haldeman on as well, because as <laughs> Paul Lynn famously joked once on Hollywood Squares, he was asked a question about who said they were the best of friends and the worst of enemies. <laughs> what were they talking about? And Paul Lind, Sharp as a wit. Yeah. Sharp as a wit. In the center square said Haldeman and Ehrlichman. <laughs> Of course, they were known as the German Shepherds, <laughs> Nixon's uh, right and left man in the right. in the White House. Uh, well, right and writer. <laughs> Haldeman there was, was no left man. <laughs> Haldeman was writer, but of course he was the uh, so-called chief of staff, whereas Haldeman was the uh, main advisor on domestic policy. But he was heavily involved in some very interesting aspects of the Watergate scandal. Um, including some operations involving the plumbers, John Mitchell, and, uh, you know, I've been reading so much Watergate stuff in the last year because of the anniversaries that mm -hmm. it's fascinating to see how early on John Mitchell was hopefully going to be the, the fall guy. But uh, Nixon was kind of reluctant to go along with that program. Well, God, how long had Mitchell served him? That was the thing. Yeah. They were longtime personal friends, and Ehrlichman in particular was very anxious for, for Mitchell to take the rap. <laughs> Why, sure. <laughs> so it was uh, the infamous... can someone else do it? <laughs> infamous uh, comment that there is no honor amongst a gang of thieves. Indeed. 
Anyway, we uh, are out of time, apparently. Uh, you are listening here to WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Do stay tuned. Thanks to Andrew for engineering Yazoo City Calling, coming up next right here on this fine station.